Today's episode is sponsored by Crimson Woods. Welcome to a new season at Camp Crimson Woods. Join your fellow counselors as you attempt to escape from camp alive as you fight off a killer and find one of the three escape routes. Be wary though, if your friends find a way out and you aren't nearby, you might just be left behind. So fight, run, escape, live, and check out Crimson Woods on Kickstarter right now. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about co-designing online. We're talking about what does it look like to be far, far away or to be in the same town, but you just can't get together with your friend, with your co-designer, with the people you're working on a game with or working with artists, graphic designers, whoever. But what does it look like to design a game remotely, to design a game pretty much all 100% online? And we're talking to Bevan Clatworthy from Tinkerbot Games. Bevan, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thank you very much. Damn it, really excited to have you here. This is something uh, you've been doing for a while now with your co-designer. And, you know, this is like one of the most 2020-style episodes I think we could have. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people are dealing with this right now. Like, what does it look like when I can't get together and play test with my normal group or I can't get together with my, my co-designer? You know, and maybe it's because we live in two different places or maybe it's just because we can't see each other face-to-face. And so I'm really just interested in getting into... The, the tools you've been using, the different software, all the different programs, the different things you found that worked, things that maybe you found didn't work very well, what you would go back and change if you could, you know, if, if you could kind of start over and, and do it again, all that good stuff. But before we get into it, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, my name's Bevan Clatworthy. It's a bit of a, an odd name. Um, <laughs> I think my parents had some uh, funny ideas about uh, what to name their children. Um, yeah, so I got into gaming at a sort of very young age, and I sort of followed sort of a classic um, arc of like, you know, board gaming with Hasbro stuff like Monopoly and that. And then I kind of graduated into uh, games like HeroQuest and Space Crusade, which were kind of like the precursors for things like Warhammer and uh, games like that. Um, and then I got into those as well. And that turned out to be like, you know, the, the plastic crack, I think they call it, where you just got so much miniatures and everything that you just don't paint them all. Um, and I really got into that. And unfortunately, at some point I moved off to university and I just couldn't afford to, to keep up with it. Um, whilst at uni, I got into a different habit, <laughs> which was uh, Magic the Gathering. Uh, and I think it was there that I sort of started getting inklings of like the th- wanting to design my own games. Um, once uni was finished and I had a little bit more disposable income because I was looking for work and that kind of thing, um, graduated into board gaming, miniature games, basically anything I could get my hands on, like Blood Bowl and uh, War Machine, games like that. Um, and it's at that point that I sort of sat down with a friend and went, oh, we should put some together. And we, we roughed out an idea and it was it was bad. You know, it was it turned out to be a terrible like two player CCG style game, you know, nothing that was marketable at all. Um, but eventually what happened is I started attending uh, the UK Games Expo, which is like the biggest um, UK based convention. And one of the companies there was doing like a, a redesign competition. I thought, oh, that'd be fun. Um, I got into a, I, I managed to book a spot. And uh, fortunately, a friend of mine also managed to book a spot. Um, and between us, we'd like designed our own little games, play test each other's stuff. Um, this was about five years ago, I think. Um, and I caught the bug. That was it. We we managed to get to the finals. We we didn't win, unfortunately. But, you know, we had such a blast doing it that we decided, you know, this is something we'd like to do uh, more full time. So, yeah, here we are. 
Very cool. And then how long have you guys been working together remotely or online and having to kind of figure things out purely on the internet? Well, it's, it's funny. We've been doing that since, um, like I said, since about 2015, I think it was that we've been doing majority of our stuff online sort of uh, over the internet, but the playtesting side has only been more about when sort of, uh, the unfortunate pandemic hit, um, and it became harder for me to find playtest groups within my local area where I live. There's a few cities um, reasonably close that have got decent sized playtest groups that uh, I could go and visit. And I always prefer to sort of playtest in person if I can. But then obviously everything closing down, I had to find alternative means. Um, and, you know, this this is when we sort of started diving very deeply into like the software and the the different things that we could use to do it remotely. Um, unfortunately, what it did was then my my business partner who I who honestly I play tested very little with has now become one of my chief sort of play testers between us. So we, we can design each other's games and we can very quickly iterate. Um, and it's kind of changed our dynamic as a, as a duo. Um, but yeah, it's been fantastic to sort of dive into that and it sort of brought us a bit closer together as well. So, which is quite nice. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Okay. So before we really get into this, let's get a, a good frame for the conversation. Let's get like a good little working definition when we talk about designing games online, what exactly does that mean? Um, so when designing online, it's basically everything is a uh, is, is a file, is a digital file that you've got on the PC. And that can be everything in the process from uh, initial ideas all the way through to the actual physical playtesting. And then going beyond that, I mean, uh, like for our latest project where we're sort of moving into the graphic design artists, all of that kind of um, element um, has to be online as well. So it, it's essentially following the entire design process from first idea through to putting it out there for people to buy um, through uh, just through the medium of the internet, I suppose. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Now, why? Why is this important? Why is this worth spending a podcast episode talking about? You know, in 2020, I think it's kind of a little more obvious <laughs> why you would want to go online and not be around as many people. But in general, like you said, you've been doing this since 2015. So give me kind of the bigger picture, you know, not necessarily 2020 reasons about <laughs> why this is something for designers to think about and look into. Well, for us, it turned out to be a matter of consistency. My Myself and my partner, we we did originally live in the same city and that made it very easy. Uh, and, and then as life would have it, we ended up sort of separating and ended up with about 70 miles between us, which I know for, for some people, that's not a, a huge, <laughs> a huge distance, but uh, for British roads, which are pretty bad, um, that is a long old way. Um, so essentially for us, it became a matter of uh, necessity and consistency to make sure that we could constantly keep designing, keep moving forwards, keep ideas running. And it also came down to sort of ideas of like when we were both available, uh, we both went through sort of several life, uh, life changing elements. We were buying houses, getting new jobs, having children. It just meant that, you know, if I had an idea at five o'clock in the morning whilst, you know, popping a bottle in the baby's mouth, I could very quickly fire off a, a quick Slack message. Um, and then that would be picked up by my partner at sort of about 10 o'clock and he'd reply back. And it just meant that we had this constant dialogue. We had this constant motion. If we had to plan something out, we had everything available to us online. I didn't need to call him or I didn't need to go around his house and speak to him about it. I could immediately go online, grab the app, bring it up and, and know exactly what my uh, task list for the day was. Yeah, it's a really good point. I'm reminded of Sin Fung Lim and Jay Cormier, who were a co-design team that have designed some of the best games of all time, yeah. <laughs> you know, Belfort and some of these others. And they are pretty much 100% online. They live in two very different parts of Canada. 
And so they've just developed a system that works really well for them. It's consistent. They know all the, you know, the, all the Google Drive stuff, all, yeah. all the things that kind of go along <laughs> with it. But they've been able to turn into just an incredible duo as far as game design. And so I think it's obvious that it, this is possible. You know, it, it's one of those things, if you're willing to put in the time to figure it out and to, to learn how to do it and to learn the different programs and, and how to use those effectively, you can become a pretty solid design team and do it all digitally. And I feel like it also removes a lot of the excuses, right? Because it's like, well, you know, I can't get over to the house today because my kid's sick. And so we can't meet together, whatever. Like it, it eliminates all of those things that you yeah. might normally, <laughs> you know, procrastinate and create as excuses. Have you found that to be the case? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as you said, you know, uh, I might get to eight o'clock in the evening and that's that's the time when I, I'm more likely to be able to actually do some work because, you know, the kids are in bed and um, my wife's off watching telly or something like that or, or writing one of her books. Um, and it just means, as you said, eight o'clock is it's quite late in the evening. It's at least an hour's drive to the nearest place. It was quite hard for me to kind of get the motivation sometimes. You know, I've, I've just finished a full day of work. I've just spent the afternoon running around after two very energetic <laughs> little people. Um, and the thought of another hour's drive to then sit down and potentially not playtest my own games, you know, I might, or end up playtesting games that are, uh, I don't want to use harsh words, but like playtesting games that are definitely not ready or not there yet, if you know what I mean. Like, uh, not that you're wasting your time. Obviously, any playtesting is good for you, but it may be a real struggle to sort of get into the mental um, zone, as it were, to make sure that you're able to to do that playtesting and, and and be useful to that person. And yeah, with the the you know using the internet instead, it's eight o'clock and bang, I'm online. You know, I've got a cup of tea. I'm comfortable. I can get myself back into that mental headspace and be ready to to work consistently without knowing I've got to lose an hour one way, an hour the other way, and all the other little weird niggles and things that can just sort of get in your way, as as as, as you rightly stated. Yeah, that's a really good point, and I feel like it's all about doing everything you can to lower the barrier to entry. Mm. And this is the case with most everything, whether you're talking about, you know, I need to go to the gym and exercise, or I need to eat better, or I need to stop procrastinating. I need to work on my book or my game, whatever it is. Like, I feel like anytime you can lower the barrier to get things done, you just make yourself so much more likely to do it. And so, like you said, if you have to drive an hour and then set up and then, you know, do all these things and then drive an hour back, I mean, it takes a lot of time versus I can open up Tabletop Simulator, I can open up Slack or Discord or something like that, and I can all of a sudden be in the design space. I didn't have to spend any money on gas. I didn't have to get dressed. I didn't have to brush my teeth. <laughs> I didn't have to do anything except open my phone or open my laptop. And all of a sudden, I'm in the, the place where I can design or play test or talk to people You know, that are helping me make my game better. It just lowers that barrier to almost nothing. And I think that's really the idea. If you can lower the barrier to entry to basically zero, then you're almost guaranteed to do something, to get something done. And so I'm, I'm, I just think this is a really cool thing for designers to look into, even if you're by yourself in designing, is to look into some of these different programs and, and apps and software that we're going to be getting into. Because I think it just lowers the barrier uh, to entry and helps you with that motivation. And so as we get into the you know, different things people can do, let's talk about schedule. What have you found works really well for you and your team as far as like scheduling? I like, do you have certain things going on on Monday night and then we're going to do this on Wednesday and, and I need this by Friday. Like, do you have a, a set schedule each month or each week or each day or tell me how that works? So for us, we kind of like a, we use like a three tier system, essentially. So we've we've got the two evenings or it used to be one, but now it is two evenings where we, we have to sort of contact each other. We speak to each other. Uh, not face to face, but like um, through uh, microphones and Skype. And, uh, sorry, not Skype through Discord, just so we can sort of touch base. Because there's a lot of the the human element that gets lost, unfortunately, with like text messaging and stuff, where you might get 
confused or misconstrued or those sort of those little wording issues you know like if you're trying to write a particular paragraph and you say to them oh what about this and you send it back and they send back oh no these these little amendments here um which can get quite tiring so the, our first stage is those two meetings they, we make sure that every week we at least do one of those two meetings life getting in the way we try to sort of reach two meetings an even a week where we have an evening where we just talk to each other and one will be for play testing and one will be for planning for like you know future campaigns and current designs um and then the second one is slack so we use slack for planning out our um what's the best way to describe it so so slack is the one that we can use when we can't physically contact each other and like i said before where you're just trying to you, you've got to ping it out there and then when they respond then you can sort of have a little conversation maybe through text but there's that sort of delay between and that allows you that time to then do the other things in life that are not getting in the way but are you need to commit to as well um you know i wouldn't i wouldn't be the the best person in the world if i just immediately said to my kids nope you just go sit in front of the telly for four hours while I go and do this thing you know I want to play with them I want to interact with them I want to make sure they're having a good time as well uh, but I need to make sure that I can send off that very fa fast quick idea before I forget it um, and that's how we use slack and then the last one we use is uh Trello which is like this fantastic almost it's almost like a whiteboard for your for your phone where we're able to then plan in the big tasks and this usually comes back to those sort of Tuesday, Thursday meetings as well, where we can plan in tasks with that's where we'll set deadlines for things. That's where we'll set who will do each task. And then obviously you can revise it based on like, you know, I believe that task will take me two weeks. Okay, cool. Right. So I'll take these two other tasks that might only take a week each so that we we're balancing out the workload that way. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and then Trello sort of extends into another little bit of software we use called, oh, where's it gone? Uh, it used to be called Wanderlist, but we moved it up to, it's one called To Do. I think Microsoft took it over. Uh, and that is essentially a, for, for the Just Do It, so the JDI tasks where it's like, oh, you need to post this out or you need to contact this person. That's those quick, easy ones that I can do at work when, you know, no one's sort of watching me on my phone, <laughs> basically. And I can very quickly type that in and say, right, set that to me. That's my task. Um yeah, and that's basically, we plan through those three mediums during the course of a month, and then we can, as I said, schedule out from there. Okay, very cool. I want to dive into each of those a little bit deeper and kind of help listeners understand what these things are and why they're useful, what kind of functionality they have. So let's go back to Slack. Exactly what is it overall, and what are some of the cool things that a game designer can use it for? You mentioned this, it's a way to kind of send messages back and forth and that kind of thing. But like, it, it, there's more to it than that. And so tell me kind of the bigger picture, what it is, where people can find it and what they can use it for. So yeah, so Slack is like I am on steroids. It is very much kind of like, uh, it's almost like um, one of the old forums from back in the day where you can have threaded conversations. You can have, if you've got different designs that you want to discuss, you can have a thread for each design. Um, you may separate the threads out into, this is for the artist, this is for the graphic designer, uh, this is for... Um, rules clarifications this is for things we need to post out so you can very much kind of structure it in a really nice way so that conversations and comments and threads don't intermingle and you end up with this sort of ball of information like you may do with say facebook instant messenger where you can't segregate out the different bits of information um, it's fantastic for that you can also do things like um, share pictures share video it's not so great for videos but you can you can share sort of short videos on there as well um, and it's fully searchable. So you can sort of, if you think of something, oh, crikey, we talked about that four weeks ago. I'll just type that in. Oh, there it is. I found it. Um, it's fantastic for that kind of planning element and segregation of data that makes sure that you don't lose the thread of a particular conversation. Um, it's also, 
what's very interesting about it as well is that it can be used to uh with i can't remember what they call them but they're like sub subroutines so if someone on twitter for example uh talks about your game it will search twitter will ping it up as a um, an im or, or where however it does it and then you can have a slack thread that basically says oh you were mentioned here on this comment and you can then go find it on twitter or facebook or instagram and you can sort of like the picture or see you know see what people are saying um so it's a fantastic way for doing a little bit of what's the word not not market research but like keeping an eye on the market to see who is talking about what you're doing yeah and so with the segregation of data are you able to like create almost like partitions like okay over here is the art conversation here's the graphic design conversation here's the play testing conversation and everything can kind of live in its own own space exactly yeah and you can also sort of change who who is able to view each of those threads so we have like a, a head a, a chief thread that is basically everybody but if it's um business or money side of things we would then separate that into just me and my business partner if it was uh, say art we wouldn't necessarily want everybody involved in that conversation we just want the artist so we would have a thread that was just me and um whichever artist i was just talking to same with graphic designers um we haven't got our accountant on there yet but, but we're working on it um yeah and it just makes it nice and easy some of the volunteers that work for us at uh, like conventions and things will have a separate thread for them as well so everybody's got just getting the information they need and uh it just keeps it, as you said, it keeps it nice and keeps it clean. And it means that nobody is getting more than they, they need to, to, to do the job that they've been assigned. Gotcha. And as far as payment, like, does everybody have to have an account? Does everybody have to pay for an account or does a company, do you have like a company account? Then, then other people get added on as users. How does the money side of things work? So the, the basic version is completely free, which is fantastic. Uh, it has got a five gigabyte limit on the amount of data. And when you hit that amount, the, I think it's the it starts then archiving the bits behind and to access that archive that's when you'll need to to get a paid membership i can't remember the exact costs but then you it, obviously when you pay for that it then bumps you up to um sort of 10 20 up to a terabyte i think it was where you've got like this massive access to the the, the archive and the data that you could put on there but it is the free version should be adequate for most people but like i said things like if you start adding pictures and files and videos it then can very quickly start piling up and if you desperately need to keep hold of every single message it may be it, it i would say it's a sound investment to sort of get maybe the 10 gigabyte version of it and access that archive system as well yeah i just clicked over to their website it looks like for the standard account it's well you have the free version then standard accounts like seven bucks a month then it goes up to oh, 12 wow. bucks a month so i mean it's, it's super reasonable overall mm. like you're not spending crazy money on these things you get all sorts of added options when you upgrade to the paid version that you know which be expected okay yeah. the next one you next one you mentioned was trello tell me let's, let's do a little deeper dive with that one that's one i'm a huge fan of i use that one all sorts of for all sorts of reasons and, and with different you know people and so tell me the functionality in that one and, and kind of what all you guys use it for well so yeah so trello is absolutely fantastic so for us it's um it's it basically as i said it's a whiteboard that you put onto your pc so you can have um like different boards that will have different layers of tasks and within those tasks you'll have i can't know i think it calls it cards but it's almost like a post-it where you can put a little comment in there and it'll have a little header and if you click on it it'll go through to whatever data you want to add there and that can be anything from links it can be embedded videos it can be files it's just a really nice way to organize your data uh, how we use it is we have like boards for like doing done to be done um bad idea shove that over to the side that kind of thing um and what you can do then is with those cards is when they're completed you can then sort of switch them from um 
board to board essentially to make sure that you're constantly tracking tasks and making sure they're in the right spaces uh, other beautiful things that it can do is that you can assign it to a certain task to a certain person so you'll get a little message that'll ping up and say so and so has assigned you this task uh, you can also set a deadline if it needs to be done within a certain time frame which is great because then you get a little uh, email ping to say this is due today better get it done so that's uh, that's quite handy uh, there's color coding which is um, for me especially i i find that sometimes those lines of text can get quite confusing but if i see green 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 red oh red i'll grab that i can start working on that particular task and make sure that one then is brought up to date uh, it's then all got sort of like uh, some other unusual functionality. So maybe within the cards, you may have, uh, there's like a list system. So you can list out certain tasks that need to be done. So for example, if you've got um, an art list that you need to complete, you can tick off each art list as it's our asset as it comes in. For example, we've used it for things like that. And uh, that's quite handy in that you can see as soon as you hit that last task, it then pings and says, I'm done. And then you can switch it over to the, the done board if you wanted to, and just keep moving things around. Um, other features that are fantastic is the voting system. <laughs> so a couple of times we've had some, um, not contentious, but slightly uh, strong opinions on certain items. So maybe like a, a piece of artwork that we've had done where we're sort of like, oh, should it be green? Should it be blue? And it's like, oh, we're not quite sure. So you can put a vote up basically, and you can sort of both or both or multiple people can then vote on a particular thing and assign whether they want it to be blue or green, for example, um, which is actually surprisingly handy as a, as a board item. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's other functionalities as well that I've, I've not managed to dive into too far. But like I said, there's email pings, there's activity checks, the checklist system. It's it's just a really handy, quick visual way to sort of find out what tasks and things need to be done and and keep things on track. Um, one of the other beautiful things is that you can you can archive stuff, but you can also retrieve it from the archive. So we ended up uh, in the past, we ended up generating a list of, uh, okay, so we generated a list of things that we wanted on this particular sign. So we one of the, the products that our company was making, um, we wanted to do a big banner that went up behind our stall at a, con at a convention. And we said, it needs to do this, it needs to do this, it needs to do this. And we didn't bother to do a list for it at the time. And as soon as we put it up, we looked at it and went, okay, so the, the, yeah, the picture's on there. Okay, all the prices are on there. And we'd completely forgotten to include our name and our logo. Like it was just... There was nothing there. So nobody had no any idea of who we were as a company or what we were doing. <laughs> we just had these big pictures of our product and all the pricings on it, but no visual thing to make people go, oh, yeah, okay, must be them. They, they're trustworthy or, oh, no, don't like them. We avoid those guys. So what we used with Trello then was we then, for future references, we had like a banner list with a little checklist built into it that said you need to have this, this element, this element, this element, and you tick it all off. And then later on, if you want to bring that back from the archive, you've immediately got that list ready to go again for, for like a second banner or a, another piece of artwork. So it's great for sort of being able to revise your tools for later and bring them back into play uh, when you need to bring those cards back from the archive. Yeah, definitely. I'm a huge fan of Trello. I use it a lot for art and graphic design because I can just add the artist into the, the board and I can, you know, I, I love the, the system that you have. I use something similar. It's like waiting, uh, work in progress and then done. And it, the columns, the way the columns are set up, it's real easy to just at a glance to look and see what's being worked on, what's already finished, what do I need to review? I guess that's another one. Uh, waiting, in progress, review. The, and that means the artist has finished something and now I need to check it and make sure it's good to go or give some feedback or something like that, then I'll move it back over to the work in progress and then finished or complete. And it's just such a simple 
program. The free version gives you more than you would ever need. I don't know, yeah. you know <laughs> why you would ever need to upgrade to the, the paid one. Like the free version is so uh, complete. And then I love the checklist. I love that you can have different cards. It's like little note cards on a bulletin board. And you can just kind of have phase one art. And you have a checklist of all the different things. And you have the art direction. You can upload pictures or video and say, hey, I want the character to look similar to this. I want these colors, this color palette, all these things. And it's just so easy. And it's just right there at your fingertips. It's at a glance. And it works really, really well just for keeping track of everything. And so, yeah, I'm a huge fan of that one as well. Now, you said To Do was another uh, app that you used. Tell me a little bit more about that one because it seemed like maybe that could also be inside some of these other ones. So why do you also use the To Do app? Uh, so to do is for it's it's a very very basic it's almost like a, a shopping list app essentially so you can just sort of do a tiered list so this might be like shopping list uh, research list that kind of thing so you can have different lists within there um, its functionality is a lot simpler than trello but what i find it's useful for is things like if i'm say like i said at work or i'm uh, in a situation where i need to take a note down or i need to put a task down but i haven't got the time to nip into trello create a card write the title put in all the comments i need underneath and then assign it to the correct um board as it were um if i if I just have to do something quick, I can go to this this app called To Do. It used to be called Wanderlist, but uh, Microsoft bought it out, and then you can at the moment export from one to the other. Uh, but I just find it really handy for those sort of very quick, very simple tasks that don't require quite the in-depth amount of information for Trello. So, for example, like I said, if I'm at work and I suddenly have an idea that oh, I need to, uh, I don't know, I need to get hold of some art supplies for a particular thing. I'll just try art supplies, ding. And it's it's a, like a, a quick two button press to get that into the the app as, and, and then tick it off later on, you know, sort of press it and it ticks and it goes into a, a little archive list afterwards. Um, it has got some um, other functionalities that are really useful. So uh, my, my partner's managed to set it uh, a, I can't remember the name of the word that you would use, but it's like a, a program, a subroutine that um, if one program that we use gets an order, it automatically then pings it onto the to-do list uh, for whichever area that order needs to go to. So, f so for us, we divide Europe and US into two. Uh, sorry, you, yeah, Europe, rest of world, US. They're three different lists on our uh, to-do list, and it will basically ping it to whichever one of those three lists are available, and then it will not automatically assign a person, but we've basically set it up in such a way that anything in the Europe list is for me, anything for other areas is for him, and then US is me again, because I can I can get to the post office more readily for, for posting, for example. So it is, it is quite handy in that its functionality is outside of itself as well as within its simplicity within itself. Very cool. It makes a lot of sense. Just It's just almost like having a, a note card in your pocket and you can just write down quick things that you need to do, except it's digital and uh, a little more durable than a note card. And so yeah. I, know, <laughs> I know you guys use Discord and Tabletop Simulator as well for like your playtesting and, and whether it's just with you, you, know, you two together or in general. And so tell me more about that. Tell me about Discord, how it works together with Tabletop Simulator, how everything kind of comes together. So uh, Discord is one of the ones I'm more um getting used to at the moment it's it's quite new for me but it's it seems like a very kind of basic uh im messenger system but again that can be kind of separated into groups it can be separated into individual users and you can put things in there like pictures and videos and um one of the more handy features that the the screen sharing seems very simple um so you can very quickly kind of like so well i've, I've done this screen share here look at this thing oh no tweak that put that over there oh fantastic okay that makes that perfect um but i think one of its strongest features um that that we we found was that it's got a very low kind of 
impact on your P- your CPU. So basically, your computer is not going to be burning itself out trying to run things like Facebook Messenger. Discord is very low intensity in terms of your computer usage, which is perfect for Tabletop Simulator, which is, as, as we know, is, as a physics engine, kind of eats memory on your PC and just causes all the fans to come on and all the little red lights to start bleeping. Um, and we've just found it super useful for just talking to each other whilst on TTS. Um, it also, there's some good like cross functionality as well. So you can, the, when you go into tabletop simulator, the, the names of the people that you're in conversation with will then just ping onto the, the top of the, the table that you're playing on. So you still know who's talking and then it will highlight the people who are talking and who's available and who's not. So that's really handy. Um, and then tabletop simulator i believe you one of your last few episodes was was a a gentleman talking about tabletop simulator and it's just it's a fantastic way to prototype it's a fantastic way to do play testing we've we found that it's more useful than um tabletopia uh simply because we were more able to very quickly iterate on there tabletopia is a little bit more fiddly in terms of for me personally for setting up assets on there that we can then play and jiggle around with whereas tabletop simulator is very quick very easy it's got a a built-in card maker tool so you can create a whole deck very very quickly and then copy paste and uh, it just feels more intuitive compared to tabletopia for me personally i know that there's other people out there that would uh, disagree (laughs) on that one um but yeah we've it's then created a situation for for play testing at distance that just makes the the iterative process so much quicker before it used to be i'd have to come home i'd make all the amendments i'd need to do i'd then need to print it i'd then need to cut it out and this is another one of those uh, barriers to entry that we were discussing earlier where it's getting that that gumption that incentive to kind of like make myself go and print something go and sit down for two hours cutting everything out sleeving everything getting everything sorted out um, and there's also that sort of slightly soul destroying element of like you've just had made this prototype it took two hours you take it to the next play test they completely destroy it or tear it down. You have to go, oh, right, I have to go right back to the drawing board, redesign everything. And you're throwing all these bits of paper away and all these bits of card. So again, there's a, an environmental impact there as well where you're you know, generating waste essentially. Whereas something like Tabletop Simulator, we've been able to very quickly get down to play testing. We don't, there's the rules explanations are uh, get easier each time. We can also iterate a lot quicker. So we can very quickly get through like maybe two, three, four different redesigns in the same evening because one of us can quite quickly go back into say publisher or um, i use gimp2 for doing sort of uh, graphic design kind of stuff if i need to do a very quick uh, change to something and then we can very as i said very quickly re-upload that to tabletop simulator and away we go we've got the next version and it just it feels like that's the work i would have done anyway but instead of then having to print it and cut it, I can just immediately upload it and immediately get back into playtesting. So we'll lose a lot of that time that would have been lost generating the physical prototypes. It's just, it's just gone. It's just immediately gone. Um, yeah. Right. And Discord is so awesome because of its versatility. Because not only can you upload pictures and video and have chats and everything like that, but you can also talk to each other and you can invite playtesters in to chat about different aspects of your game and actually hear their voices. And it just offers a lot of different opportunities to do different things. And then when you combine that with tabletop simulator, it's just a, a phenomenal thing. Um, you mentioned GIMP too, and that is basically like a Photoshop thing, right? It's, it's a free version of, mm-hmm. of a 
you know, illustration and art editor where you can create graphics and, and, and things like that. Um, and free is always good. Uh, Discord is also free. <laughs> There'd be no, really no reason to pay for the, the expanded version of Discord. I guess you could, but you only get access to like more stickers and like a few upgraded things. But for the most part, the free version is excellent. And so is there anything else as far as like GIMP2? Like do you and your co-designer use anything that you kind of can partner on when it comes to images or editing graphics and cards and things like that? Well, so Discord is very good for that in that we, as I said, it's got that, um, that screen sharing feature and as you, as you said, the, the speech feature so we can kind of collaborate at the same time. So one of us would load up, say, GIMP2 and then um, we would start making the adjustments on the fly and the other person can kind of chip in and sort of say, oh, man, move that around to there, move this bit to over there. Uh, it's not as useful if we both want to take control, but I, I tend to find that if one person is controlling and the, you know, the other people who are collaborating are discussing it with you that seems to be a lot smoother a lot simpler um so yeah that's how we get around the whole like designing graphically together is is, is using discord to screen share that makes sense i personally i use canva c-a-n-v-a dot com uh, it's phenomenal the free version is excellent but then also they have a paid version that you can have multiple users and you have access to the same files and so i could upload something on, on my computer and then it would show up on a co-designer in, in their files as well. We can have uh, color palettes that are the, the same so we can work on things and go, wait, what What was the Pantone? I don't have to think about what was the number of the exact color I need. Like it can all be preset in there and you can collaborate really easily on some things. So I definitely recommend checking that out. Uh, it's Canva and everything's online and it's all digital. And so you can access it anywhere. It doesn't have to be your computer because uh, everything kind of exists in the cloud. So that's another one that uh, I would well, suggest. That's amazing. Yeah, I've not heard yeah of that check one. that one out for sure. Is there any other software, any other apps that you guys use to kind of work on games? Um, well, one thing I would mention is sometimes what you'll end up doing is uh, when you're collaborating, you may end up in a situation where you've got sort of very large file sizes. So we use Google Drive for the majority of things uh, because it's just it's just so simple. It's There's a lot of uh, space on there. It's got a lot more space than, say, Dropbox, for example, which is useful. But I tend to find that that fills up very quickly. And then you end up with lots of ping saying your, your Dropbox is full. We're not we're not going to do any more for you until you clear some of this out or pay for a bigger box. So Google Drive, we found very good. The the only caveat I would say on that is that for Google Drive, it's it's a, um, all of your Google elements are in that. I think it's 15 gigabytes you get for free. So that includes things like your mail, your X, uh, not Excel, what do they call it? Sheets and uh, the the word processing one they've got as well. Um, that might be Sheets. <laughs> but yeah, well, the, the Google suite, basically. Um, you can upgrade that for reasonable amount of money. And we use it for like our email service is now basically on there. So we would use our... I've got my own personal Google one, but I've also got like the work ones. And we found that by transferring our work domain ones, so at Tinkerbot Games, we can still keep those and Google will look after those for us as well. So it's it's a very nice way to keep all of those, um, all of those addresses and emails in one nice, easy place to keep. There are some situations though where we found people prefer not to send big files to Google Drive. So there's one website we've used called WeTransfer that allows you to send up to two uh, files up to two gigabytes in size for, uh, completely for free. And if you want to go to the pro one, you can send up to 20 gigabytes worth of files. And we found that very useful for when we're sending like uh, data packages that contain like a lot of sort of uh, Photoshop elements where the files could get quite big. Um, that's super handy for that kind of thing. So, and it, again, if you just don't want to use Google, that's quite cool. Um, the only other one to really mention is things like 
well, this is more sort of talking about sort of when working with other people, we, I found that other people will have their own ways and wants and needs and how they would like to communicate. So it's just a sort of a piece of advice, I guess, is just to make sure you're au fait with as many different systems as possible. Try and tempt them onto things like Discord, but you may end up in situations where you've got to use things like uh, Skype, for example. Um, what's the other big one that a lot of people use? Zoom as well. So it's worth getting out there and just trying to find as many different methods that you can sort of get yourself keyed up on to make sure that when you might you know you contact this person who may live in say the netherlands and they say no i only work on zoom you may end up having to quickly very very quickly learn new bits of software um they're all reasonably intuitive but it is worth just having a quick look and just seeing how quickly and easily you can set that up yeah that's a really good point it's something i've actually been looking into for the board game design lab, I'm, I'm kind of working on BGDL 2.0 right now, which is this kind of massive undertaking. It started off as just like a updating the website here and there, and it turned into what if we added all these other things into it as well? And so it's become this humongous project. But I think it's going to be really, really cool because I'm I'm looking at something similar. Like, what does it look like to create a place where game designers can come together, meet each other, hang out, get to know each other, work on games, help each other with games, similar to the Facebook community and things like that. But mm. then how do we go so much deeper? How do we have like subgroups where, you know, if you're working on a game then you could have your own little subgroup, part of the BGDL community where you work on that game and, and you can invite people in and, and invite playtesters, invite people to give you feedback. So you don't necessarily have to have a website if you don't want to build your own website. Like you could just kind of have your own part of BGDL uh, community website yourself and, and kind of have a place where, all your files, not necessarily your files, but like uh, maybe your sell sheets or your your uh, communication about different things going on, your feedback, and just have a place for things to live, your design diaries, right? Uh, and then it's also going to integrate with Zoom so you can have Zoom calls and talk to people and maybe get some feedback from, from folks. Uh, so I'm looking into different ways just to make it easier, like you're saying, for people to come together and work on games and, and get feedback and give feedback and uh, yeah, just design great games that, that people love. And so be on the lookout for that if you're listening to this. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of up to my elbows right now, probably going to be up to my ears here soon and, and working on that. And uh, it's a lot of fun to work on. And I really hope it turns out great. I hope it doesn't suck because it's taken up so much of my time, <laughs> but uh, going back oh. to we transfer is an excellent, excellent program, especially if you're working with China, uh, China, because of all the restrictions and whatnot, I don't think China can access Dropbox. Typically, maybe there's some workarounds. I'm sure there are, but if you're going to send a Chinese manufacturer, your, your files for your game board or your cards or whatever, we transfer is an excellent uh, option. That's what I send uh, the manufacturer for all my games. And uh, it's also what I send out when I do a, a Kickstarter project and I, and I have like print and play files or PDFs or something like that. WeTransfer is excellent because you upload the file in there. It spits out a link. You can just copy and paste that onto a Kickstarter update or something like that. And people can just click the link and then they can download the file. I don't have to send out, you know, a thousand emails. I don't have to figure anything out as, as far as website or, or whatever. I can just use we we transfer and the free version is excellent. The um, the paid version gives you a little bit longer like expiration date. So if you upload a file, I think you get seven days where people can download it until the file expires, where is with the paid version you get like you can set the expiration date. I'm, I'm not sure how long it might be unlimited. I'm not sure. But um, so there are maybe some reasons to look into the, uh, the upgraded version of that one. But for the most part, the free version works really, really well. Um, so let's get into some of the challenges you've run into, because there's there's lots of pros and lots of cons from, you know, working remotely and working, doing everything online. Uh, we talked a lot about the positives. What are some of the bigger challenges? What are some of the, the negatives that you've run into and had to figure out workarounds? Uh, so one of the bigger ones is that if you're having a lot of conversations that are just text-based, 
you can sometimes find like the the message gets lost a little bit. Um, I've often found I've often found that people can uh, misconstrue like the intent. There's like if I miss an exclamation mark off the end of a sentence, it suddenly goes from uh, a funny little quip to a you know <laughs> a put down essentially. So one of the big things to look out for with with using online communication and talking to each other is just to make sure that you're very clear about the intent and where you're coming from with that communication. Uh, it's not so bad with, say, my partner, because he he kind of understands my sense of humor <laughs> and uh, understands the little quirks and things that I, I put into my writing. And he's not going to be offended by bluntness or uh, sort of saying something is a bad idea without first you know, explaining why I think it's a bad idea. But that is a, a bit of a pitfall of this system. It's it, if you can, it's much better to sort of call someone or you know Skype them or Zoom or however, whichever method you can use, and contact them and speak to them because then you just get that better cadence. You get that better. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word. The better camaraderie with that person, and you can sort of better communicate the way you want to, the way you want to express an idea. Essentially, uh, just trying to think of some of the other problems we've encountered. Um, yeah, that's a really good one. Though, real quick, I mean. There's so you, you lose so much of the nuance of conversation when it's only text based. I mean, that's why people hate each other on Twitter all the time, because you only get a few characters <laughs> yeah. and there's no sarcastic font and there's no facial expression and there's no hand motions. Like there's nothing except the words on the page to be interpreted by the other person that is reading it. And they're going to interpret it, whatever, whatever mood they're in or whatever they assume. And so a lot of things can be misconstrued where, Oh, you said this because you hate me. It's like, what, what are you talking about? I was, that was, that was a joke. I wasn't, I was laughing. And, but it, it depends on how that person is perceiving things through text. And when you're receiving feedback about a game or a play test, it can be kind of important to actually be able to hear the tone of voice and be able to maybe see that person's face and, and, and you know, get the, the more nuance of, conversation. That's a, that's a really good point. And so what, what about Honda culture? So you, you've got a game on Kickstarter right now, Honda culture, which I'm a big fan of the pun. You got like ghosts and gardens kind of mixing together. Tell me some of the things that maybe you ran into designing that game, both positives and negatives as far as, you know, designing remotely. So one of the, the big issues that we kept running into with Haunter Culture was the artwork side of it. So trying to explain what we were trying to achieve with, with the artwork um, to our artist. So our artist is a, a lady called Alexandra Vardanian. She's done an absolutely fantastic job of the artwork at, uh, as it stands. But one of the issues we were running into was, as I said, that text-based one. Because she lives uh, in a different country, there was very little scope to sort of do the sort of chatting back and forth. So we may try to explain to her, like, we want this particular monster to be a little bit kind of you know kooky or doing this particular thing and she may not it may be completely lost and we get this image back that uh, a couple of days later that is completely wrong so we would then have to go back to her and say you know sorry this is just not this is not what we're looking for we need you to completely redesign it and that you know that can feel to some people like several hours of lost lost time um instead of like the the exploration process where, which which is what we would feel for sort of creating a game um so that's one of the big issues we encountered with that the other one is trying to make sure that we get play tests um consistent so th the issue with haunter culture is during the tts is not something i'm completely au fait with so it took me a little while to kind of learn how to do all the setups and everything and the problem that we encountered with haunter culture is the the setup time can be massively increased by the TTS module, if it doesn't, if it isn't set up in a particular way. And obviously in the early days, I didn't quite know what I was doing. So a lot of it was kind of like fudging it and making sure that it, it looked okay. Um, thankfully now it's a lot better, but I remember back in the day when we'd set up for a two player play test and I've got it all 
laid out for four players and I've suddenly got to go, right, click that and throw that away. Oh no, it's just popped back onto the table. I'll click that, I've got to throw that away. <laughs> that comes back again. Um, I have to then move some cards around. I have to put extra tokens out or put less tokens out. And it just became this um, very difficult to manage process. Whereas you see some of these other sort of automated ones where they just click on a button and suddenly there's two player, there's three player, there's four, you know, it's all, it, it just changes the setup immediately and gets it all done for them. Uh, so yeah, that was one of the big issues we encountered with Haunter Culture was just getting our play tests to become these sort of smooth um, and useful, um, you know, useful data collection processes <laughs> rather than this sort of 20 minutes of, oh, hold on, hold on, I've just got to move this. Oh no, that's moved. Oh, I haven't locked that down. And yeah, essentially becoming a, a big mess. And that immediately then turns people off um, on top of the, the sort of the tabletop simulator effect of turns take longer. Uh, you don't get the same uh, visual cues and sort of understanding of how if a person is engaged with the game because they may be on their phone whilst they're taking not taking their turn or something and you just have no idea. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was that was two of the bigger elements that we found with Haunter Culture and the sort of working distantly that caused us you know quite a bit of concern in the beginning. Right, everyone I've talked to who has gone online to Tabletop Simulator or Tabletopia for playtesting and whatnot, they've all said the same thing in that if your game normally takes an hour. Go ahead and plan on it taking an hour and a half, maybe two hours online. It just takes longer. Turns take longer. Everything takes a little bit longer, which is interesting because some things have sped up, right? Shuffling is one click. It's one button. Like so many things are faster because you have hotkeys and you can do all sorts of stuff. But overall, games take longer, which is a really interesting thing. I'd love to see some data on that, on, on kind of why. It, why is that? Why do, why do things take a little <laughs> bit longer? But uh, another piece of software I want to mention, as, as far as... Uh, Art direction, especially, is called Loom. L O O M, L O O M. Yeah, Loom, and it's a basically a, a Google Chrome extension, a little thing you can put in your your browser, and it records whatever you're you're doing through the browser, and it pops up like it, it uses your microphone and it uses your your uh, camera, and so you can have like your your face down there in the bottom. You can move your 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 uh, image around like where you want to put the video, and so people can see you, or you can turn that off if you want to, but it basically just allows you to show people exactly what you're, you're meaning or what you're talking about. So for instance, uh, recently I was working with a new graphic designer. Normally I work with my friend Drew and he's phenomenal and we get each other. We understand, like when I say something, he understands exactly what I'm talking about, about 98% of the time. And he's phenomenal to work with. We've worked together for a long time, but his wife had a baby. And so all of a sudden, <laughs> all these things that I was going to ask him to do, he was a little bit busy and preoccupied and I was not trying to make his wife mad at me for having him, you know, work on these other things while he should be helping her, obviously. Good call. And so I reached out and found another graphic designer who I'd never worked with before and who was really good, but she uh, was kind of new to board games and board gaming technology, board gaming uh, vocabulary and things like that. And so I asked for certain things and what she came back with was not even close, like not even close to being close of what I was asking for. And I was like, okay. And I had to go back and realize, okay, I would say this stuff to Drew and he would understand, but the way I explained it to her, she's not getting it. And so she even said, Hey, can you just make a loom video and show me what you're talking about? And that way we don't have to go back and forth over and over again with a bunch of emails and messages back. And like, just show me what you mean. And so it was so much easier, just a quick little loom button and it pops up. And now I'm all of a sudden recording a video and I can use my mouse and I'm talking and I'm saying, Hey, this right here needs to be moved over here. And it needs to look like this. And let me show you this picture, this kind of what I'm thinking. And I like these colors and whatever it was, but I could show exactly what I was talking about. I could explain it. I could use, you know, all the language that necessary that maybe I would have, it would have taken forever to explain it in this kind of detail through an email, through a message, but I could just make a, you know, two minute, five minute, whatever video. 
and show exactly what I was meaning. And so I think Loom is another really helpful piece of technology, uh, especially when it comes to art direction or when it comes to explaining things, or even with, with playtesters. You know, if, if they've got you know something that, that they're trying to explain as far as like, hey, let me show you your card. It looks like this. Um, this over here, it, is, it looks odd. It needs to be maybe over here. And, and they can kind of show you and explain what's going on. And so I think that's another one worth looking into. Oh, fantastic. I've not heard of that one. That is brilliant. That'd be a lot easier than the Discord <laughs> Discord screen share method that we've been trying because there's there's always those sort of weird little tricks where every so often the, the, the PC would boot you off and say, oh, no, you can't see that bit of the desktop now. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, fantastic. Right, I've written that one yeah. down. And I'm not sure if Loom can do it in real time, like if you can do it live. Uh, I've only used it to basically create videos and then send a link to the video uh, and say, hey, just watch this and, and then you'll know what I'm talking about. But, yeah, it's definitely a helpful Helpful thing, and it's free. As far as I know, the version I'm using is free. I don't. I'm sure there is a paid version, a paid version of everything, but uh, the free version is exactly what I need. And so, yeah, definitely check that out. Uh, any other challenges that you ran into, or any other things you just want to mention as far as you know, working online. One of the significant challenges that we encountered, unfortunately, this isn't one you can kind of predict, was not relying on your systems automation to kind of do all the work for you. So a lot of these bits of software that we've been using, like, uh, for example, Slack or Trello or uh, the to-do lists, they they all have features and things that are set up to make sure that they sort of ping you with an email or a, a little pop-up on your screen to say, you've got this task to do, you know, this is when it needs to be done, that kind of, that kind of information. But there are occasions where something will happen where either the app updates or there's a new uh, iOS, for example, I've had the iOS system on my phone update and then suddenly none of my pings were popping up. So I'm happily, you know, sort of sitting through my evening thinking, oh, I've got nothing to do tonight. I'll just, you know, play on the the, the PlayStation or something. <laughs> and then it turns out, oh, there was three packages I should have sent out a week ago. And uh, that's not great. So it is, it's, I would definitely say for, for folks using these, make sure that you check them sort of semi-regularly with outside of just waiting for pings to come in, just to make sure that everything that you've set and assigned yourselves, and this is where those meetings, as I said, the, the, the Tuesday and Thursday meetings are very useful because I can get sort of, not called out, but kind of put back to put back on back on task on things that I might have missed. It's always worth just double checking that you've got all those banners or such like set up and if not, going into the apps and just physically checking to make sure there's nothing assigned for yourself. So, yeah, it's especially when you're planning something like a Kickstarter where every day, every week counts. You know, you've got a deadline. You've got you, you want to try and hit that. I know you can push them out, but it's much better to try and be consistent and keep doing bits of work all the time rather than this sort of boom bust thing where, oh, I've suddenly got 20 pings. I'll do all of them now. And then you forget about it for two weeks and come back and find, oh, no, there's a whole load of extra stuff I haven't done that I should have done a week ago. Um, so, yeah, physically go and give them a, a little shifty to make sure they're not <laughs> they're not just running on their own and uh, filling up. Yeah, for sure. All right. If you could go back and maybe do things again. Right. So somebody out there listening to this, they're just getting started. They hadn't started anything before. They're just trying to figure it out for themselves. Like, what would you do if you were just starting out now? You still have all the same knowledge, but, but you get to kind of clean the slate and start over. What would you do? What programs would you use? How would you use them? Any of those things that come up? So I'd immediately start with Slack. Uh, I initially, back in the day, we started off using sort of Facebook Messenger and uh, Twitch Messenger to do a lot of our uh, you know communications with ourselves and with people that we wanted to work with or with, you know, like people who wanted to talk to us about our projects and such. And that unfortunately created this horrible mess where you 
you can't search for things properly you can't remember everything so you might be scrolling back for months and months and months through these messages to try and find that one person that said oh i'd like to to do a review so you know could you send me a copy of this and we we've completely forgotten and lost their address um i would definitely recommend getting straight onto slack and having these threaded conversations so you know exactly who you're talking to you know exactly what needs to be said and you don't have these reams and reams of information um trello was one we kind of used straight from the beginning which was fantastic but i would definitely use that more for things like the reviewer side so back when we first started we had a lot of reviewers and things that wanted to to see what we were doing but we completely messed up on their information we did it all through um like our emails we just basically had an email and we do an email chain with each person and it just created havoc we were just we had like we, even if we separated them out into their own little box you don't know the status quickly at a glance of who's got what who's at what stage have they written it have they recorded it that kind of thing so having something like trello we we should have utilized trello a lot more to make sure that we had those proper boards to say this reviewer has the copy this reviewer uh, has completed the activity and here's the link to it you know it, it just would have made our lives a lot simpler back then um and the last one is just a personal one i would have made sure i got onto like a course or something for gimp2 to make sure <laughs> make sure that my graphic design skills were a bit more up to snuff because there was a lot of frustrating evenings right at the beginnings watching lots of youtube reading lots of articles just to try and figure out how it works because whilst it is free it's probably the least intuitive of the graphic design programs and software that i've seen there's a oh there's a new one actually um it's uh, similar to loom in the uh, oh, not loom canva that um it it works within your browser called photop and it opens a lot of things like psds uh the the gimp2 files as well it'll all open all of those and it's a lot more streamlined a lot more user friendly and and i think if if i'd known about it back then that would have been the one i would have jumped on um, because it was just a lot simpler to use than than GIMP2. I mean, now I'm invested, but <laughs> yeah, um, that would have been one I would have, for me personally, I would have definitely jumped on a lot earlier. Very cool. Well, Bevan, this has been great, man. Any kind of closing thoughts? You know, someone's listening to this, maybe they're a little bit overwhelmed. You know, they've been kind of stuck inside for a long time. They've, they've wanted to design games. They've been struggling because they, you know, for whatever reason. What kind of closing thoughts would you give them? What advice would you give them as far as taking their game design online? I would make sure that you um, pick the bits of software that you would like to use and stick with them. And one thing that I would definitely recommend is not going for the top end all the time. As, as we've talked about through this entire conversation, there's a lot of good software out there that is completely free if you're willing to just not have all the, the bells and whistles on there. Um, so don't be afraid to use things that other people may consider sort of low low tech so things like publisher word things that would be on your pc anyway it doesn't matter how you design it and how you put it up there just use the things that you are comfortable with and use those bits of software um and definitely if you have to co if you're going to co-design and um get things organized get trello trello is a fantastic piece of software and it can not only help you organize your workload but it also allows you to do things like frame up um where you keep your notes quick links to everything else which designs you're working on so you may have a design that uh, a board that is just all of your different designs and you can move them around on this on these boards to say you know this one is waiting for me to update this one is uh, i'm abandoning that one i'll just archive that one for future reference just in case there's something useful there um so yeah if if, if anything get trello quickly and get yourself organized on there because that just it's a brilliant way to share the information as well with your co-designers and partners 
Yeah, definitely. I completely agree on that. It's kind of like any other hobby. It's so easy at, at first to go out and spend a whole bunch of money. You know, I know I've known so many people that wanted to get out and play golf. And so they went out and bought this really expensive set of golf clubs and they got the membership and they got the, <laughs> the golf shoes and the hat, all the stuff. And then uh, maybe they went out and played once or twice and then that was it. And then their really expensive set of golf clubs sat in the garage until, you know, they sold them at a garage sale, you know, three years later. And it's so easy to do that and, and to waste a bunch of money and never actually buy anything you're going to use. And same thing with working out. I've known so many people that get so excited. They're going to do all these things and exercise. They go get the gym membership and they buy all the, the, the clothing and the shoes and the headband and the water bottle and all this stuff. And they work out once or twice and then that's it. It's like, it's, yeah. it'd be so much better to go out and just do something that you're going to, or use something that you're going to use, you know, like buy something you're going to use and do it. You know, done is so much better than having a, you know, a really expensive set of software or a program that you never actually get around to using. And so well, I definitely agree with that advice. Well, exactly. And if essentially, if, if you feel like um, you have to make some sort of contribution, GIMP2, uh, uh, I believe, is sort of open software. So that's somewhere you can just sort of ping $10, $20 to the creators and say, thank you very much for this bit of software. I don't, you know, you don't need to give them that money, but it is a nice way to sort of, tell them that you appreciate what they've done and the fantastic work that they've put into this, you know, this freeware app. Um, I'm not sure that's quite as applicable to things like Slack and Trello where it's, you know, there's, there's a bigger corporation behind that, but yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's just nice to pay it forward. Um, and I hear you on the, the, the gym equipment thing. It was uh, quite, <laughs> uh, I ended up with a sort of rowing machine kind of thing. Um, and I've got it all set up and then the cat chewed through one of the cables so that I had to go and fix that. And, uh, I then got on it for maybe a week, I think it was. And then my back went out and then I just didn't go back to it. <laughs> so, so yeah, make sure you're going to use these things. Um, yeah, make sure you're going to, you're going to consistently get through them. Definitely. And like you said earlier, if you need to go out and get a training course to kind of show you the little ins and outs uh, and the nuances of something, do that. You know, if, if it's something that has a bit of a learning curve, then it's worth the money. You know, there's so many tr online training courses you can go out there mm -hmm. and find to figure these things out, whether it's Slack or Trello or, or GIMP2, whatever it is. There are so many resources. There's really no excuse at this point. And so make sure to check that out as well. Well, Bevan, this has been great. You've got a game on Kickstarter right now. Give me like the two minute elevator pitch for that one. Uh, so it's called Haunter Culture. It's essentially the, the sequel to our first game, Ghostal. So instead of scaring people out of the hotel, the ghosts have been tasked with setting up the gardens that are now around the hotel because there's nobody in there anymore. Uh, and essentially what you're going to be doing is you, uh, as ghosts, you can't use things like lawn mowers and hoes and stuff like that. So you have to hire the gardeners that used to work there. And unfortunately, they're dead. So they're going to be things like zombies and ghouls and skeletons and you have to hire them and use them to grab ornaments and plants to put into your little flower bed and whoever presents the best flower bed at the end of the game wins awesome well bevan really appreciate your time really appreciate you coming on the show good luck with the kickstarter and good luck with everything else you got going on right now brilliant thank you very much gabe thanks for listening hosting for the board game design lab podcast is sponsored by quartermaster logistics the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?